In a world where good news is hard to find, WAVA and One Heart DC present Good News for the City. We're here to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what his body, the church, is doing to spread this good news in the Washington, D.C. metro area, including Northern Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. As Jesus said in John 17, Father, that they may be one just as we are one. Welcome to Good News for the City. It's the gospel, the gospel that makes a way. Greetings, folks, and welcome to Good News for the City, the radio broadcast ministry partnership between WAVA Radio and One Heart DC, right here on Life Changing Talk Radio, 105.1 FM, WAVA. My name is Dennis Williams. I'm director of ministry for WAVA Radio, and I want to welcome you to today's broadcast. You know, folks, we hear a lot about gentrification in DC, but what you may not know is there are entire communities, excuse me, right here in the greater Baltimore, Washington area, who are simply neglected. Only three churches, you heard that right, only three churches were planted in black and brown communities here between 2011 and 2017. Nationwide, there are over 81 million black and brown people who are underserved by their church community. We need to do a better job. The Creek Collective is organizing believers to answer that call, and we want to talk about that. And of course, here to get us started to introduce our guest for the day is my good friend, my co-host of Good News for the City, Pastor Brian Bale, Senior Pastor of Christian Fellowship Church in Ashford, Virginia. Dude, how are you, man? Are you warm? Are you cold? Are you freezing? Is it snowing where you are? Yeah, long-time listeners of the show know that we're recording from two different places today, you in Charlotte, balmy Charlotte. Uh, and me in, let's just say, not as balmy Northern Virginia. Uh, I can literally hear the sleet hitting my window right now as we record. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, you know, Dennis, we say this, we have the privilege of hosting this show, talking about the truth of the good news. And, and every guest we have Amen. on the show is, is a guest I enjoy. But if I'm going to be truthful, there's some guests that I have a vivid memory of and just love the depth of the conversation around oh, the gospel at a level that, that, that maybe it's not happened before. And I, I don't say that to, uh, to be overly flowery or overly complimentary, but I, I have a really vivid memory the last time that we had our guest on the show. And it wasn't because so many people struggle to pronounce his name. So <laughs> we're going to give this a shot right now, if we can. On the show this morning, we have Pastor Thabiti Anya Buile. Did I do it right, Pastor? Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, Dennis just keeps calling it Pastor T, and I think he's That's copping exactly, out when he does that. I am copping out, dude. You know That's I am. Right. But let me tell the people about you. If they haven't heard of you before, heard of you on our show, he's one of the pastors of Anacostia River Church in the Washington, D.C., and he's the president of the Creed Collective. It's a church planning and revitalization network that is focused on vulnerable and neglected black and brown neighborhoods. He served as an elder and a pastor in churches in North Carolina, here in D.C., and also the Cayman Islands. Um, After a few years, he was, as a practicing Muslim, actually, he was converted under the preaching of the gospel right here in the Washington, D.C. area. He and his wife, Christy, they have three children. He's the author of several books, including The Life of God and the Soul of the Church, The Gospel for Muslims, What is a Healthy Church Member, The Decline of African-American Theology, and The Faithful Preacher. If you want to know more about those books, you can also look at Amazon or you can go find him and where he writes his blog called The Front Porch. Uh, So welcome, Pastor. Glad to have you here on the show today. 
Oh, so glad to be here, brother. You stole my punchline. I was going to say that the only reason that that interview was memorable is because you struggled to pronounce my name. That's well, that's- you know, <laughs> I try to learn from my mistakes. Uh, sometimes I'm a slow learner, though. So thank you for the grace. I appreciate that. You, Pastor T, let me tell you something, man. He struggles with my name sometimes. <laughs> well, fair enough. Fair enough. No, you so, know I love him, man. Yeah. So, Pastor, I think when we say the words Creek Collective, some people who may be geographically knowledgeable may immediately go to a vacation or a place that they want to think about going in the Greek islands. I'm sure there's some illusion there, but it probably means a whole lot more than that. Where did the name Creek Collective come from? Thank you, brother. We, we take it right from the scripture. Um, Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Paul says to Titus, the reason I left you in Crete was Mm -hmm. so that you might uh, put things in order and appoint elders in every town. So Crete's a little island um, country province there uh, in the New Testament where Paul intended effectively for Titus to start a church planting movement on that island. When he says appoint elders in every town, depending on which scholar you're you're reading, uh, that estimate can be from 20 towns in Crete to 100 towns in Crete. Yeah, um, And so what he's effectively saying there is say, look, plant elders and establish godly qualified spiritual leadership in all of these towns. Now, the other thing that, that is important for us with the Crete Collective, of course, is when Paul talks about the reputation of Crete, it's mm-hmm. got a reputation for being a pretty tough place, right? Right. Uh, and so... Which it, isn't how most people think about Crete today. So Nowadays, that's right. So vacation, Understanding context matters. That's right. That's right. It's a vacation destination nowadays, but in Paul's day, it was kind of the Jericho Road. It was kind of the place you didn't want to be assigned or to go. Um, and so that that just motivates us because it means that that God wants his church to be established in places that honestly, many people would rather forget or forsake. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there are no God forsaken places. There are only church forsaken places. Yes. And Creek Collective exists to try and reverse that. That's a, that's a wonderful reminder. There are no God-forsaken places, only church-forsaken places, because Jesus, God in the flesh, came for everyone. He died for everyone, and so his desire is to be in relationship with everyone. Right. And, you know, there's this tension, I think, that you just hit on, that we as a church, and I'm going to use that term very broadly, can often fall in love with the wrong things. And one of the things that we can fall in love with is comfort. Yes. Uh, getting out of our comfort zone, going to people who who maybe uh, don't look like us, talk like us, vote like us, pick a not like us. It's just about it's not like whoever the us is at the moment. And the result of living that comfort is just the fact that what you said, that too often there are places that are church forsaken, not God forsaken. And so in thinking about the Creek Collective and the particular call that you have here in the Washington metro area, what are some of those neighborhoods, maybe for people who are listening to the show local, we do have people that listen to it from all around the area, but I'm pretty sure no matter where they're listening from, they're neglected neighborhoods there as well. Yeah. What are some of those neglected neighborhoods that are black and brown in the Washington metro area? Yeah, well, if you think about Washington, D.C., for example, you know, it's shaped like a diamond. Mm-hmm. It's sort of divided into four quadrants, um, but, but it's also divided by two rivers, the Potomac and the Anacostia River. Um, and for much of the city's history, anything east of the Anacostia River uh, has esec- essentially been a neglected section of the city. So we're talking about much of Ward 7, much of Ward 8. Uh, you got neighborhoods like Deanwood, Lincoln Heights, um, where we are, Anacostia, Fairlawn, um, Congress Heights, Shipley Terrace. 
you know, just tons of neighborhoods over here. And this is one of the things I love about DC is a very neighborhoody city, right? Yeah. Tons of neighborhood with lots of local culture and character. Um, but when it comes to investment, whether we're talking civic investment, government investment, business investment, and I would say even spiritual investment, there's not a lot of fresh new investment that's being made for the benefit of the residents who are already here. And you mentioned a lot of the local culture and character. I want to go to that if I can for a second. How does the local culture and character of a neighborhood or a ward or an area um, influence how one then goes and makes an impact through the church in that neighborhood? Yeah, that's great. In in our own theory of change um, as as the Creek Collective, part of what we talk about is becoming an acceptable outsider. Mm. That's kind of the first step, right? And this is what makes church planting, when it's done well, different from, say, gentrification. The gentrifier comes in, buys up the land, ignores the local culture, uh, renames even the neighborhood, right? Just changes the physical look of it, changes the culture of it without regard to people. But um, as Christians, we're not bulldozers, right? We're not mowing people down and plowing up and just sort of changing it. We've come for the people, which means then we want to come humbly. It means we want to come respecting the culture that's here. We want to be students of that culture, of the rhythms of life, the values of people. And we want to become acceptable outsiders initially. But then we really want to plant ourselves in the neighborhood and root ourselves in the neighborhood um, because you can't, you can't reach a neighborhood you don't live in, right? Mm. And so you want to go from being an acceptable outsider to over time uh, becoming a, a trusted resident, right? Yeah. Uh, and over time, beginning to sort of um, be so much a part of a neighborhood that it's home for you. So that's kind of the the trajectory we want, we want to travel: accepted outsider, you know, a, you know, trusted resident, uh, and then you know, to the point where it's kind of home base for us as uh, a mission and a culture and an identity. You know. And you're highlighting something that's absolutely important, that the gospel is transcultural. Yet too often, the history of the say the missionary just use that term instead of acceptable outsider is, is that we go, especially if it's a Caucasian uh, endeavor, let's go to these other areas and let's bring what we believe our version or our particular version of the gospel that's culturally based instead of the transcultural gospel, just by meaning this, that, you know, the classic missionaries would go in and say, okay, here's the deal. We're bringing our culture to you. Uh, and we make a synonymous culture and the gospel and misunderstand the transcultural nature of it. So I love that reminder. And specifically, though, when you're thinking about bringing the gospel, why the focus on some neglected brown and black neighborhoods in that way? Yeah, because, again, these are the Jericho Roads. These, these yeah. are the places that people don't wish to go. So um, my brother Dennis opened up the show by talking about the study that we often reference of 220 church plants uh, in the Baltimore-Washington metro area over about a seven, eight-year period. 60 of those were, praise God, congregations that spoke some other language predominantly. So we praise God for the way that, you know, those church plants and gospel works are going to different Mm -hmm. cultures in that way. So that leaves 160 other churches that are primarily English speaking. And you ask where they located. Well, they all but three are located someplace else um, other than the neighborhoods that we all kind of think of as the neediest neighborhoods, Mm -hmm. right? So this means that these neighborhoods are not just vulnerable, you know, talking about poverty, crime, you know, struggling school systems, things of that sort, but they are also actually neglected. So most of the church plants that describe themselves as urban, for example, 
Well, that's a tricky word nowadays. What do you mean by urban? They, they often are in places that are redeveloped, that are the slick hipster places with disposable income. At best, they are hood adjacent. They're not actually in the hood, right? They're yeah. not actually in the neighborhoods that are most needy. And that's important because the neighborhood I live in, for example, is a food desert. So what does that mean? Well, that means that you cannot get to sort of fresh groceries, fresh vegetables, um, things of that sort uh, within a mile or so of your house. Why is that a problem? Well, because over 40% of my neighborhood doesn't have a car. So imagine you're an older resident, 50s, 60s, you live more than a mile away from the grocery store, you don't have a car. How do you get there and get good quality food and get back to your home, right? This is why there's shopping carts littered all over the neighborhood, right? Because people take the carts from the store and it's the only way to get their groceries home, right? Well, what I want to suggest is we not only have food deserts where, where poor people without transportation have a hard time getting to food, we also have gospel deserts where poor people with the same transportation problems have a hard time within walking distance getting to a healthy gospel preaching church. Mm-hmm. And so w- what we need is a strategy that saturates neighborhoods um, with, with gospel preaching churches and communities so that people can access the gospel. We want to make it hard for people to walk down the street without bumping into the good news, right? And that requires mm-hmm. we plant churches in the neighborhoods and those not be those not be commuter churches where people just sort of driving in and hear a sermon driving out, but those are places where people are reinvesting and relocating uh, and and planting themselves alongside the church with the purpose of making Jesus known in those neighborhoods. Now, we're often well intentioned to do things, yeah. but many times when we go from intention to implementation, we find ourselves coming up against many significant barriers that make the intention much more difficult to execute for lack of better terms in, in light of some of the things that you're already mentioning, you know, gospel deserts, food deserts. And I love that, that visual of a desert mm-hmm. in that way. And, and you bringing some things to like to some people who may not even think about who, who don't live in the areas you're talking about. They're like, what do you mean? They can't get to blank. Not only do they have, that available within a mile to them, they also have a vehicle or two vehicles, or in some yep. cases, much more than two vehicles. Yep. So what are some of those barriers for this, this mission and this call to plant churches in these gospel desert areas that maybe people wouldn't think about naturally because it's not their experience, or maybe they've just been too comfortable to think about it? Yeah. Well, the first barrier you're already naming, it's, it's the sort of combination of comfort and fear. Mm-hmm. So, so I think many Christians, if we're not careful, we just quietly lead lives that seek comfort, right? Uh, and, and, and comfort moves us away from things that we think are scary, you know? So fear is also motivated there. So when you think about the neighborhoods that we're in where crime is high, including violent crime and things of that sort, most people kind of rationally say, I'm not going over there. I don't want to sure. go. But that's not a gospel impulse, Right. Uh, Christ leaves glory. If he was ever comfortable, he was comfortable in the presence of the Father, enjoying that eternal glory. He he divests himself of that glory, wraps himself in our flesh, dwells under Roman occupation in ancient Israel among the people who would reject him, uh, who would then, he would be crucified, buried. You're talking about giving up comfort? That's what Jesus does in the gospel, and we're called to enter into that, that cross-shaped life. So that's the first barrier. 
The second barrier, I think, is impatience. So in our, in our sort of traditional church planning movements, and I praise God for them, we, we need more, not less of it. People want to microwave churches. They, they want churches to be up and running and self-sufficient in three years. Well, that's a real disincentive for going into the most neglected and poor neighborhoods. Uh, because if you go into some of the housing projects in some of our major cities to plant a church, that's not only rough work spiritually, it's going to be rough, rough work financially. So if, if there were, I take one of the largest housing projects here in the city, uh, Lincoln Heights, we planted a church up there a couple years ago. Um, if, if that pastor, Jeremy, were to see a revival in, in, that, in that housing community, um, all 400 residents come to know the Lord, he still probably wouldn't have a large budget, uh, a budget large enough to support his salary, right? So um, the sort of financial pressures um, and the sort of microwave tendency of church planting these days, they don't fit the sort of long, slow community-based model that you need in neglected neighborhoods. And so we've got this mismatch uh, in philosophy and, and need. And I mentioned, I'll, I'll conclude here, I mentioned the funding piece, right? Uh, one of the things that we observed that, that sort of motivated us to start the Creek Collective is there are a lot of hungry, young, godly church planters, the aspiring church planters who come from these contexts, who, who want to serve these contexts and, and go back and do good gospel work. But because they come from these contexts and things of that sort, they don't have a lot of social capital. They don't know a lot of people who have disposable income who can give to support a church plant. And in typical church planting, we say to the planter, you not only have to be a pastor and an entrepreneur, you got to be a venture capitalist. You got to go out and raise all the funding to sort of do this. And guys are like, I don't know anybody who knows anybody um, who can who can contribute in this way. And so the Creek Collective is, is meant to be a kind of um, war chest or trying to sort of gather funds from God's people all over the place, black churches, white churches, brown churches, suburban, urban, just sort of say, hey, we are focused on these kinds of neighborhoods. If God is stirring you to contribute to that, contribute to the collective, and we will, we will resource um, these planters in these neighborhoods uh, in ways that give them a fighting shot at being viable churches for the long term. So yeah. rather than three years, we want to support these churches five to seven years, 10 years in some cases, um, so that they can get roots in the community and really begin to flourish. And so I would say comfort and fear, um, the microwave mentality of church planting and the funding issue are, are the main barriers to this work. And those are great reminders. I think as I was listening to you, this this statement that um, at Christian Fellowship Church, I have the privilege to lead that we've been saying a lot lately, it's not enough to be, as I say, it's not enough to like Jesus. You're to be like Jesus, right? Ephesians chapter five says, be imitators of God, not people who just give a thumbs up socially to him on a good post or whatever. Say, I like this because when we're being like Jesus, it is that Philippians chapter two that you're talking about taking upon the form of your servant, you know, leaving that which is easier, leaving that which is comfortable and engaging for the purpose of the greatest message of the gospel and uh, that's such a just a wonderful reminder. And what we're talking about now, if you want to know more about the Crete Collective, you can go to the Crete, C-R-E-T-E, collective.org, as well as you can get them on Twitter, at the Crete Collective, and you can find out more there. Certainly, it tells you more about um, what Pastor has been talking about. You mentioned at least one neighborhood that you've already planted churches in. What, what are some other ones you have or have plans to plant churches in? 
Yeah, well, I'd have to count our own church. Um, we're, we're just a, a almost six-year church plant uh, here in Washington, D.C., and, and we've wanted church planting in our DNA from the start. So the first church that we planted was, as I mentioned a moment ago, Mercy of Christ Fellowship up in the Deanwood neighborhood. We're out actually on the verge of planting our, our second um, church plant here in Southeast D.C. called uh, Congress Heights Community Church. It's going to be in the Congress Heights neighborhood here, Lord willing, in the spring. That church will launch. Um, and with the Creek Collective, we're looking across the nation at, at neighborhoods that, that fit this profile of vulnerable uh, and neglected black and brown neighborhoods. And we've got uh, right now a collection of about 10 church planters um, in cities from Pittsburgh to Houston to um, Detroit, uh, out in L.A. Um, just, just think of all the sort of urban or inner city um, kinds of areas in the country and those are the places where we want to see the gospel ecology improve uh, and where we would hope to plant. And as you've planted these churches and uh, going to plant these churches and you've had your own personal experience, what would you say maybe is like the one or two biggest misconceptions that people already have in their heads about the communities that you're called to that just frankly are just that they're misconceptions. And you, you discover that in real vivid technicolor when you get into those neighborhoods. My goodness, that's a great question. Thank you for asking that. I think there are two um, misconceptions related. One is that people in these neighborhoods is sort of all violent or you know mm-hmm. drug addicted, or you think of all of these pathologies and you stereotype the whole neighborhood. Uh, what when what you find actually is most people in the neighborhood trying to make ends meet are are living decent but hard lives, uh, working hard and just facing obstacles. Um, the, the, the other sort of misconception is then that these are hard places, meaning people aren't interested in spiritual things. That's just not been our experience, actually. It's a lot like in the New Testament Gospels, when Jesus steps on the scene, who responds to him? Well, it's the prostitutes, it's the poor, it's the, it's the folks with disabilities, it's the folks on the margins who are like, yo, tell me about this kingdom. And we find a lot of that in the neighborhood. Um, a lot of uh, interest in religion, a lot of interest in spiritual things. Now, some of it's bent toward, uh, you know, uh, uh, false alternatives, but we've never had difficulty getting spiritual conversation when we go out door to door doing evangelism or we go out to the street corners um, and do evangelism. People are open uh, and desirous of hearing things that that point toward eternity um, because there's a longing here. And so yes. these are the, the fields are white. Uh, and plentiful. We just need laborers to to go into the harvest. And that's what we're praying for. And this isn't just an experience that you're telling people about because you've heard stories of other people telling it. It's something you've gone through yourself. How has your particular experience, maybe the last minute or so, helped you and informed you on this mission? Yeah, uh, well, it's humbled me, (laughs) first of all, because you you realize real quickly, only Jesus is the Savior. Amen. We make really bad gods. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And and it it drives you to patience. I had an older gentleman that was I met with when we first got started. I said, tell me about the neighborhood. Tell me what I need to know. I've never forgotten this. He says, you need to be committed to a revolutionary patience. And that that sort of set the trajectory for me. It's like, okay, this is not fast work. It's slow work. It's good work. Just need to be patient and watch God work. Let the word do the work. Um, and, and that's how the church grows. And so uh, be humble, be patient, be full of faith. You know, this, this, if you, if you, in your life, in your Christian life, you're listening to this and you feel like your, your faith has gotten kind of flat and stale 
and you need something to stretch you, well, come on over here and work with us uh, in neighborhoods of need. Um, and you'll find yourself closer to the Lord because you'll, you'll more often be on your knees um, given what you encounter yeah. uh, and the needs of people that you see. Pastor, thank you for sharing your heart. Thank you for sharing your life. And thank you for more importantly, sharing the gospel. Uh, if you haven't heard the gospel today while you're listening to the show, you're missing a whole lot of good news that are being talked about. Right, Dennis? Amen. Amen. Gosh, man, I, I just sat back and listened to you guys because I love hearing Pastor T talk. Notice I said Pastor T again, Brian. It's all right. Yes, smart, maybe a smart move. <clears throat> But I, you know, I love this guy. I haven't, I don't know him deeply and well, but I've met him many times and I just love what he does and says, and I'm kind of, uh, man, I'm just, wow. Focusing on you guys. It was so, thank you. Thank you, Pastor T. Hey, Brian, thanks. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate your hard work, man. Guys, this was great. I appreciate it. Folks, if you want more information, Brian told you once, but let me tell you again, the Creek collective.org. That's the Creek, C-R-E-T-E, the Creek collective.org. You can get more information. You can also listen again, oneheartdc.org. That's oneheartdc.org. Again, you can call me at 703-807-2211. That's 703-807-2211. Folks, we'll see you again next week. God bless you. Thank you again, guys. And remember, it's the gospel that makes a way. It's the gospel, the gospel that makes a way. Thank you for joining us and listening to Good News for the City, a gospel partnership between WAVA and One Heart DC. This is a partnership, movement which celebrates and seeks to accelerate the move of the gospel into the Washington, D.C. metro area. It is our prayer that through this radio broadcast ministry of Good News for the City, we will see transformed lives and communities and more and more people responding to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to help bring unity to Bible-believing people and churches in order to multiply our impact in our city, and we would love for you to join us. You can learn more at goodnewsforthecity.com. That's goodnewsforthecity.com. Or you can go to wava.com keyword good news. Or you can call us at 703-807-2266. 703-807-2266. And remember, it's the gospel that makes a way.